Welcome to Les Murdy Baptist Church. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Josh Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. And a big welcome to you all. Uh, for everyone who's in the room with us this morning and for everyone who's watching online, welcome to you guys as well. And you're joining us uh, currently in, in part two of our two-part series, Do Not Make It Difficult. On a background that is... Uh, I, I love um, when Rachel, who does all our graphics, was putting it together. Um, she was like, this is sort of the idea I've got. And I said, that's good. Do not make it difficult and have it really like... Um, I, I don't know if this is like going to be anti... If, you, if you're colorblind or if you have issues seeing, it's really... When I was looking at it at first, I was a bit like, whoa. But anyway, it looks, it looks really cool. So we're talking about do not make it difficult, even if our graphic is nice and whee, nice and fun like that. Um, so uh, last week we started off the series um, by looking at a passage called uh, in Acts 15, and it was the first record of the first church meeting. And we did an in-depth look at this event where Paul, a guy who was walking around telling people, hey, Jesus is real and he matters to you. And he started to see that Jesus was changing the lives of a lot of people who weren't Jewish and uh, they were called Gentiles. And uh, he saw that God was not only changing their lives, God was working through them. They received the Holy Spirit and they were doing a lot of good stuff. And then a group were coming around saying, hey, that's great you found Jesus, but you really got to know there's a backstory here. And not only should you, yes, follow Jesus, but there's some traditions here that you should pay attention to as well. And Paul said, I don't think so. And they went to a church meeting about it. And if you've been around church for a while, contentious church meetings are fun, hard, difficult. Well, this was a very contentious church meeting. They had some sharp debate and the verdict came out at the end. Hey, God is doing something new. People don't need to embrace everything that has gone before. They need to embrace Jesus. And the outcome of that was Jesus' half-brother, James, said, we don't want to make it difficult for anybody who wants to turn to God. And the answer then for us now is that that's awesome because we can take Jesus into any context, into any culture, into any moment. And he is relevant to us. We don't have to go back and learn how to become Jewish. We don't have to go back. And for the guys, it meant you don't have to go back and get circumcised. Hurrah. Um, and it meant that there were other things regarding food that we don't have to worry about as well. Which is great because Paul recognized if this movement is going to go into the world, then it needed to have a new way of operating. And so now we are the benefactors of that way of operating. So... The question that we sort of looked at and camped out on last week a little bit was this idea around what is the faith of the next generation worth? Because that's what that text was asking. What is the faith of the next generation worth? And the answer I gave last week was the faith of the next generation is worth everything. From Jesus through to now, the only reason we have a church, the only reason we have people who believe in Jesus is because for the last 2,000 years... People have taken it seriously that Jesus matters, that he died and rose again, and that they shared their faith with other people who shared it with other people. And then down the line, here we are. Isn't that good news? The church exists today because of this unbroken lineage of sharing the good news of Jesus. So the faith of the next generation is worth everything. Because as uh, you may have heard in other contexts, Christianity and anything really is only one generation away from dying. Because if it stays with us and it doesn't get passed on, then the message stops. So what is the faith of the next generation worth? It's worth everything. So if it's worth our best effort, resources, and prayer, how do we do that here at LBC? So last week we did all of the unearthing around the biblical story, around why this matters. And today we're going to have a look 
at how we actually engage with that. If the faith of the next generation is worth everything, then what are we doing here at Les Murdy Baptist Church around that? How are we putting in our best effort, our best resources, and our best prayer? So today I'm going to pull back the curtains a little bit around some of the thinking as to why we do what we do here. So if you're joining us today for the first time, um, this is a great week and not a great week for you. It's a great week because, hey, come and hear how we do things here. Uh, if you were hoping uh, for some uh, unpacking of Scripture, and this is, uh, that was last week, um, so if you're here for that, um, come back another week, um, and we'll do that. But this week's going to be a highly practical look at what we're doing, and uh, some of the reasoning behind why we do what we do here. And if you're someone who's regular at LBC, hopefully as I unpack some of this, you'll go, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's why we do what we do here. So before I go any further, let me just pray, and then I want to tell you the story about a couch. Father God, thank you so much that we can gather, and I pray this morning as we unpack a little bit around how we take this, this, uh, this mission seriously, that you'll just remind us how much you love us and how much you love the people around us. May we be equipped to be your messengers in the world, to bring this message of hope, that it doesn't stay just with us, but that it is released into the lives of those around us. In your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Who owns a couch? Not a trick question. Everyone got a couch? Some of you don't have a couch? Fascinating. Um, couches, I don't know where you sit then. Uh, a couch. I want to tell you a story about a particular couch. This couch, in fact. Um, look at that. Doesn't that just look plush? Does anyone own that couch? No? I was, when I was looking at images of couches, I was starting to imagine uh, myself laying down on it. There's a couch. Let me tell you a story about this couch. A young couple get married. They think to themselves, we just got married and we want to splurge a little bit. We want to begin our relationship on the right foot. So this young couple go out and they go and decide we're going to buy a couch. Now, budget's tight, absolutely, but if we can just nail this great purchase, it's going to set us off to a good start. So what does the couple do? Well, they've got to go and do some couch testing. They go around to different showrooms and they test all sorts of couches. They sit down and this couple are very prepared. So they have a, 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 a scorecard. So they're walking around, they're sitting down. Comfort, yes, style, eh. Um, they, they go home, they talk about it a little bit. They look at their, their room. What's going to fit us? And after much decision and much deliberation, the couple decide, that's our couch. So they go out. They get all their little coins in their purse and they go to the couch man, whoever sells couches, and gives it to them and says, we would like to purchase this couch, please. They go, they install the couch into their room and it's exactly what they hoped for. It's comfy. It fits the look. It's beautiful. It brings them to, te it brings them to tears at how glorious this couch is. <laughs> they sit down. It's just amazing. Now, over time, this wonderful couch that they'd purchased, it starts to form some memories with them. They have some conversations on there. They start to have children. The children are jumping all over this couch. They're spilling things on it. It's starting to get stained. It's starting to get a little bit worn. And they move house. Now, when they move house, the couch, which looks so beautiful in that first house, gets shifted to the second house. And, ah, the color scheme's not the same. And the room shape's not the same. And it's not longer the same room. But the couple go, you know what, we love this couch. We love the memories of this couch. It doesn't matter if it fits the room. It's fine. They bring it on in, and it's just amazing. Now, one of the children grows up and is about to get married. So the couple put their thinking hats together and go, what can we do for our child to give them something amazing? And they went, our couch. 
how well did this couch serve us? How the memories with this couch are amazing. And so they go up to their son or daughter and they say, you're about to get married, darling. And um, we just want to say, we want to give you the couch that began our relationship. We think it's going to serve you so well. And they look at the couch now. I couldn't find the same color scheme. I'm not a, I'm not a creative person. Anyway, bam, that's what happens. They look at the couch. They look at you. They look at the, they look at the couple and they go, thanks, mum and dad. No. And the couple are heartbroken. What do you mean, No. This is the couch. This, do you know how much money this costs? Do you know how many memories were made here? Do you know how well it served us? Do you know how amazing this couch is? And they go, no, thank you. We've got our own house, our own needs, our own thing. We'll go get our own couch. Now, here's the point of the story. We've all got couches in our houses that fit our needs and fit a look for us, and we, they just are what they are. We fall in love with them. We don't want to get rid of them. There's some stain marks on some of our couches that we remember back to and say, remember when that happened. Now, that's fine at home. There is no sin for bad couch fashion at home. Have whatever couches in your home, no problem with that. Go nuts. The problem is, is when we bring some of that thinking into church world, when we keep the couches in our churches, then we run into a little bit of an issue. When we fall in love with a ministry or a program, or an approach, and it used to work, but no longer is working, we can find that we are holding on to something that the next generation don't need, or perhaps don't even want. And what was a great answer for us, what was good for us, is no longer useful for the next generation. And do you know what happens at that point? They go out and get their own couch. They go out and look for answers elsewhere. So hopefully today, what you're going to unpack a little bit for us all is around why we do what we do here at church as we do our best, and it's not perfect and it is by no means the only way of doing it, but we do our best to hand over a faith to the next generation that is worth carrying, that meets them where they're at with where their needs are. So how do we do that? To avoid handing them an old couch? Simply put, um, we put our best energy and our best focus into four main areas. So if you fall asleep now, no, no problems, that's fine. Um, but this is the main thing I want you to hear for today. How do we ensure that the faith of the next generation is, matters to us? We put our best energy, our best effort, and our best resource into these four spaces. Into life groups, into Sundays, into next gen, and into events. And what we're going to do over the next 20 minutes, we're just going to unpack each one and let you know why we do what we do in those spaces. So to start with, I want to start off with life groups. Life groups meet weekly or fortnightly. Um, none of them currently meet at the church, oh, except for KYB group on, uh, during the day. But the rest of them all meet in houses throughout our community on a weekly or a fortnightly basis. And for some of us, when they're fortnightly and everyone gets sick, then sometimes it's monthly for a while, but that's just how it rolls. Um, and these are basically our adult environments because um, we believe the best growth happens spiritually for people when they are in circles together. Because this is a great environment, I'm so glad you're here with us today, but rows are not as efficient as circles because this is one-way communication. Life groups are a space where you can talk together, where you can relate to one another, where you can share one another's burdens, where you have an opportunity to just do life alongside one another. So to help people in life groups, there's four things that we hope happen in every life group. 
One, we hope there's a social component, a chance to socialize and connect with other people relationally. If you don't connect with someone relationally, it's hard to open yourself up to them in faith matters. We hope that every group looks at the Bible, look at the documents written by many people over many years that reveal God's loving heart towards us as humanity. Every group we hope serves because there's something about doing good acts and good deeds together that bring us closer together. When we get to serve in our community or serve one another or serve in the church, it's just a chance for the group to grow together and to connect with one another. And then finally, care, sharing life and all of its difficulties with one another because there is not a single person in this room or a single person online who has a carefree life. All of us have our struggles. All of us have our difficulties. And life groups are a space where we can come alongside one another and share those with each other, pray for one another, and walk them with other people. Now, getting people into life groups is is definitely more art than science. And we do our best to connect people together, um, but it's not always easy. So just give a bit of context. Um, I, first of all, just want to say a huge thank you to those of you that lead life groups Thank you very much. You guys are awesome. Uh, We currently have nine life groups and about 75 adults in life groups. So you guys are the backbone of a lot of what we do here at church. So thank you so much around that. If you want to know more about life groups or you just want to um, see if you can get into one, come and see myself, Mike, who was speaking earlier, um, and Jared, who was our child liaison officer out there. Um, If you don't know who we are, that's fine. At the end of today, we'll all be wearing hats and be easily identifiable. Um, so you can talk to someone in a hard hat and we'll get you into a group. So that's, uh, that's our life group environment. And hopefully that's a space you can connect and come to know uh, more people within this community and get a better grip on your faith or grow in faith matters. So the second area is Sundays, which is what we're a part of right now. I don't need to tell you... Um, We are here, 9.30 a.m., or you're at home watching online. Thank you so much to those of you you that do engage online. I received some great feedback um, last week uh, from someone who watches online saying, thank you so much for including us. So we try and talk to them before and afterwards for our lovely online people, and they were just saying, thank you very much. We can't get there, um, but we love engaging in the online space. So hopefully... We do our best to engage with you guys. And for everyone who's here on a Sunday morning who comes in person, uh, we meet here, 9.30 to about 10.45-ish. We have community and all that sort of stuff. Now, we try and do things a certain way, and I'll get into that in a second. But before that, I actually do want to say big thank yous. So if you've not been to one of our, into this environment before, there is a lot that goes behind the scenes to make it happen. Uh, there's a worship team, as you would have seen this morning. Uh, there's a welcome team. I didn't see who was on for, who was on there this morning. Peter, was it Peter Creel? Was uh, yeah. Peter, thank you very much. Was over there making sure you're welcomed. Uh, the kids are lovely and in their spaces, and that's because there's an amazing team that's headed up by Jared that um, makes sure that the kids have a space that they can go to. Um, tea and coffee after the service happens because people volunteer in that space as well. And, of course, the pastoral team as well. Before I go any further, can we give a huge hand to everyone who volunteers? You guys are awesome. Thank you. You guys are great. We couldn't do what we do without you guys volunteering and getting involved. So thank you so much, especially for Sundays, which take a little bit of organizing. Now, what we do on a Sunday is hopefully intentional. Uh, We are 
intentional in how we talk about stuff and how we design certain elements. I want to talk about a couple of that because sometimes in some church environments, depending on your church background, you may see what we do and go, oh, that's interesting. That's not how we used to do it. And I just want to explain a couple of things as to why we do them this way here. Um, song selection is uh, something that we have to choose each and every week. Uh, we do corporate singing because it's something about our voices united, focusing on a single truth uh, that's powerful. And I don't know about you personally, but for me, there's something about music that I just connect to God um, through. The words, the singing, the melodies, Simon this morning playing his little jazzy bits on the um, piano. It's just like, that sort of stuff to me is just like, oh, I don't know, it's peaceful. I don't know what it is in your experience, but it's like, like something between me and God, like it's this language thing. It's just beautiful. So when it comes to choosing songs, uh, we try and do contemporary music with occasional throwbacks. Um, and you'll notice as well, at the end of our services, we don't normally finish with singing. Now, you may be thinking, what a lazy band. Why don't they come back up there and finish the service with some songs? Uh, we, we do that for a reason. Uh, we don't generally finish with singing um, and that's just for the current season, for how we're trying to engage in the space. And then there's other times where we do sing at the end, and it just depends on what's happening. But at the moment, we don't normally finish with singing. Uh, our sermon series selections, across the year, we do have a big look at the year and go, what are we going to do for the year? And if you, come to, uh, if you come to every service throughout the year, you'll get the full experience. Um, if you come to certain services throughout the year, you may get one type of experience and say, why don't you ever look at that? Or why does Josh never talk about the Bible? Or why is this, because today is not much Bible. Um, we'll get to that at the end. Um, but if you come through the whole year, it's there. Um, but we just pick our sermons a certain way and we do things that way on, on purpose, trying to hit everything. Some are very Bible heavy, others are not. Um, our sermon style um, we don't preach verse by verse, um, but we do aim to preach for life change. And we try to, as much as we can, keep it to one point and one application. If you come to church 50 times in a year and you have three to five points each week, that's a lot of application. We try to keep each week towards one. So today's point and application is what is the faith of the next generation worth? It's worth everything. It's worth, worth our best effort. That's the one thing we should be taking away. And we'll get at the end as to how we do that through evangelism um, in just a little bit. The words we use from the front, we try to make sure that we're always welcoming to those who may not be familiar with our environment. So if you're new this morning, uh, Mike would have welcomed you. And at the beginning of my message, I said who I was. If you're here often, you'll be Josh is always introducing himself. Yes, because not everyone in our building has been here before. So we always try to make sure we introduce ourselves and, and use words which are helpful and allow people to, um, to engage in that way. Kids' churches run a specific way. The Bible passages we explore, the topics they discuss are chosen for a reason. And also what we choose to promote from the front uh, is, is for a reason. As a church, we do not promote a lot of things very heavily. You'll notice that LBC promotes very few things from the front. But we encourage everybody to be involved in a variety of spaces. If you're someone who wants to advocate for a political preference or a religious perspective, a personal conviction, go nuts. I think one of the best things that you can do as a Christian is to be involved in a place that breaks your heart and that you feel God is calling you to speak into. But as a church, from the front, we generally try, we don't promote certain things for good reason because some of you will go, yes, we should be talking more about that. And others will go, I don't vibe with that at all. And we have a, a range of perspectives, a range of views. And individually, we encourage everyone to engage in that healthily. 
But as a united front, we just try to keep it around Jesus and very few core gospel things. Um, and we do that for a reason, so we can engage as many people and so that we don't make it difficult for those that want to turn to God. So we basically try and create these spaces to think how we're going to engage the next generation and those who are wanting to turn to God and make it easy for them. So that's Sundays. Uh, the next environment is our next-gen space. The next, gener- next gen just stands for next generation. So from creche to career, 0 to 18, however you want to think of it, or 0 to 25, depending where you put young adults and whatever. Um, but the next gen is all about empowering the next generation to encounter Jesus. As we invest in this space, there's a couple of environments that happen. There's Kids Church, which is happening right now. God bless them. Uh, the youth group, which happens on Friday night. In fact, the youth group is so nice and generous, they set the seats up for us each week. So the seats are set up from the youth group. Thank you, youth leaders. You guys are awesome. Um, how quick do you guys do it in now? Depends who's there. Have you got sub three minutes? Not recently. Oh, did you? Oh, you started to outsource. Oh, okay, okay. Used to be the youth leaders trying to get it done as quick as possible. You guys are going, wait a minute. There's a labor force to be tapped into with the youth group. Smart. Um, so thanks for that, guys. And they have a bunch of fun um, on Friday nights getting up to all sorts of stuff. They've got their flyer out in the foyer. You can go and see what they're doing this term if you want to. Um, and there's also a young adult space that happens um, Sunday evenings. And there's also a midweek program called Music and Movement, um, affectionately called m M&M, uh, which is for carers, parents, grandparents to bring their kids along. We normally get about between 20 and 35 kids in here, and I have this mic on, jump around with them. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Now, if you don't come to M&M because you don't have a kid who can come, don't worry, M&M is coming to you. Uh, the 18th of December, we have a kid's service um, booked in, so we're going to do some M&M stuff there. So if you're like, I want to know about M&M, but I don't have a child, it'd be weird if I rocked up without a child, don't worry. We're going to come here, and you can come and experience it and move around with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's happening on December 18, the week before Christmas. So look out for that one and make sure you bring your runners or stretch up. Don't want anyone to pull anything. Um, and also in the next-gen space, uh, the hampers that we do, uh, we partner with local school chaplains within the city of Kalamunda to, to love on the people in our community by giving food hampers to them. So thank you very much to everyone who gives food or money to that to make that happen. Um, it's just incredible to watch the food hampers go out every week and see the impact that that has on different families. And then finally, events. Um, we have the resources to put on certain events that meet needs, create opportunity for people to encounter Jesus, or just allow us to love our community well. Um, some examples of events that we've run or are going to run in the future include the parenting course that's happening now, men's breakfast, there's been a couple of them. Uh, there was a women's tea retreat thing that hasn't happened for a while, but I'm sure that'll be coming up soon. Um, be Rich, uh, next year we're going to have a, a time of partnering with local charities and loving on them church camp which will happen next year marriage course which has happened before and out of the parenting course <laughs> there's been some back and forth between certain parents and we we've been going you should go on the marriage course <laughs> it's been great just like it's all in joke and fun don't worry they're not in trouble um it's just been you know parenting course onto the marriage course and uh, ruth and simon ran that in the past so yep yep got a good fun uh, the death chat, uh, as it's become affectionately known. Uh, the conversation around as people come to the end of their life. Uh, John Jenks ran it earlier with the help of Cass and a couple other, and Yvonne Schultz. Uh, conversation around as people come to the end of their life. There's certain legalities in that that you want to have in order to make the end of your life easier. 
Um, so that was great. A really good community event as well. We had about 50 people come along to that and a few from, from outside of LBC, which was really great. And Alpha as well. And in fact, um, Mike pointed this out earlier, that a lot of our engagement at the moment and movement energy-wise that we're seeing and people-wise has actually been through the event space. Um, through the men's breakfast, they've been uh, saying that they've had some intergenerationalness with some of the younger guys and older guys and people sharing. The death chat, as I just said, uh, saw a lot of engagement. And the parenting course as well has been a great space where there's been a little bit of movement as well. So those are the four environments that we have, life groups, Sundays, next gen, and events. Outside of those environments, we also run Midweek Escape, which happens on Wednesdays in the afternoon from 1 p.m., uh, you come on down if you're over 55, even if you're under 55, right? Like, you guys don't mind if a couple of the younger ones sneak in. Uh, they play badminton, they do arts and crafts, which I do not join in with because no one wants to see my stick figures. Um, and they also play pool and... Uh, that pool, not swim pool. Um, and at the back, they also play... Uh, what's the one with the numbers, Rummy? Rummy Cub, Rummy Cub yep. And that... Um, so, that happens on Wednesdays. Come along to that if you can. Um, and then there's also uh, Roshana, uh, there's some people that go and run a service at the aged care facility behind there um, and meet with people. There's also Coach, which runs, which mentoring program, and Missions. Um, there is nearly 100 children sponsored in, throughout the world through Compassion because of people within LBC. Like, it's incredible to me. Um, and we also have some local, uh, some missionaries that we give to as well. That's a lot of information. Those are the four spaces that we want to invest in as a church to help answer the question, what's the faith of the next generation worth? It's worth everything. And I think the best way that we can put our resources is into having healthy life groups, engaging Sundays, a next-gen space which sees Jesus contextualized for the next generation, and that we run events that meet a need, advocate Jesus in our community, or meet a, a certain perspective that needs to be spoken on. Now, that's all good. And hopefully you're nodding going, yep, that's a good summary. LBC people call this place home. Is that a fair summary of what we do? Yep, pretty factual. Here's the key. Those environments only work, those spaces only work, and only actually missionally hit the heart of God if we, as people who call LBC home, are engaging in those spaces and are feeling like we are equipped to be able to share our faith. Now, in the past, you may have had a varied experiences around sharing faith. Has anyone done um, courses where you go on to help share your faith? Has anyone done those before? couple? Yep. Um, sometimes you go on and there's like four points or there's colors. Some of them have colors. This color means this, this color means this. And, and it's just trying to motivate people to say, hey, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, it can be really hard and daunting, especially if you're not an extrovert, to go up to someone and say, do you want to know Jesus? Or did we find that easy? No, that's hard, isn't it? It's, it's di- like family. Family is a difficult space, isn't it? We love our sisters, we love our brothers, we love our mothers, we love our fathers, we love our grandparents, but there's just something about engaging in faith conversations which in some places have gone toxic. And it's difficult. How do we engage in those spaces? And so sometimes we go and we, we try and learn, all right, then how do I share my faith? How do I share if it matters to me? So if Jesus has made a difference in your life, if you feel that you've got freedom living in him, you're following him, how do you share that out? And here's how we want to do that at LBC. 
We want to talk around a simple phrase called invest and invite. Invest and invite. That's, that's how we want to do evangelism. Investing and inviting. Investing means that we love those who God places around us. Our family, our friends, our co-workers. As we share our lives, the fact that we follow Jesus just becomes a part of the conversation. As you read your Bible, as you pray, as you attend events, as you serve at church or you serve in the community, as parts of your life begin to change because the Holy Spirit is active and moving. We talk about it before about the fruit of the Spirit. If we've, been, if we've received the Holy Spirit, part of our life should be changing. We should be more loving, more kind, more gentle, more uh, all those things, right? More peaceful. As that begins to change in our lives, as people begin to look at us and say, hey, you used to be a really angry dude. You're, you're getting more chill. What's going on there? Or you're really more loving now. You're a lot more patient now. As that begins to happen, how we follow Jesus just becomes a part of who we are. And at some point, I believe, for everybody, at some point, the Holy Spirit's just going to tap you on the shoulder. The Holy Spirit's going to give you a little nudge and say, take a step in this relationship. Take a step with that family member. Take a step with that co-worker. Take a step with that friend. And it's in those moments that we go, what do we do? We've invested. We've loved them. We've been ourselves. And Jesus is just a part of who we are. So we've just been ourselves. And that's come out. And then there's a moment where you just feel the Holy Spirit say, now you need to say something. Now you need to ask the question. And that can be a really daunting space. That can be really daunting if you've ever been told that the result is up to you. That can be really daunting if you feel the pressure that you have to change their mind. That's hard because I'll tell you this now, you can never change someone else's mind. It doesn't work that way. You can never set a goal for another adult. Right? You can want them to change. You can want them to find Jesus. But at the end of the day, they're their own person. They've got to make up their own mind and make up their own decision. So what do we do? That's where we invite. Investing means investing and loving the people God has placed around us. Inviting means that we ask someone to come with us to an environment where we are experiencing growth in the faith area and that we think will be beneficial to them as well. So if you're experiencing growth in a life group, if you're experiencing growth on a Sunday, if your faith is growing because you're serving or you're in the next-gen space or perhaps through events, there's somewhere that you feel, my faith is growing and I've been nudged to talk to this person, I've invested in them, I've shared my faith and, and what that means to me, invite them. Invite them to come and sit with us in a, in a particular environment. It takes all the energy out of you trying to have to convince them. It takes all the expectation off you having to be the one that brings them across the line, so to speak, or to change their mind about faith issues. Invest and invite is about investing in the people around us. And then when we get that nudge and that feeling, hey, I've got to step out here and bring them to a space, you have somewhere to bring them. You invite them. And this is key. You never send people to a space. You bring them to a space. It's all good and well, and we'll talk about this with Alpha next year as well. It's all good and well to say to someone, hey, Alpha's going to be great for you. You should go. <clears throat> Alpha would be great for you. Come and sit next to me. Hey, my church is doing this series. Uh, we're talking about money in a couple of weeks, and you might be thinking, hey, I, 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 my friend over there who has a budgeting problem, um, they should come and listen to this series about money in a couple of weeks. And you go, hey, my church is doing a series. You should go. <clears throat> 
No, you go and say, hey, my church is doing a series on budgeting. Come and sit next to me on a Sunday morning and just listen to see if it has something for you. We don't send people to things. We sit and invite people to sit with us through things. That's what investing and inviting means. Investing and inviting is just recognition that God is already at work ahead of us and that we are partnering with him in that work. The pressure's not on us. We're not the ones that have to change someone's mind. We're working with where God is working. And just because our life has changed with Jesus doesn't mean it's our responsibility to change other people. Only God can do that. So we faithfully follow God. We invest in the lives of those around us. And we invite them into spaces where our faith is growing, whether that's here at LBC or in other churches, so that they can explore what faith means for them. One of the great things about being in the city of Kalamunda is there are a lot of great churches in this area that you can send people to and go with them into. That you might be thinking, hey, LBC is great for me, but not for them. I'm going to go and take them um, down to Westminster Presbyterian. I'm going to take them over to Kalamunda Church of Christ. I'm going to go sit with them down the hill at Walter Grove Baptist or whatever. There's so many churches in our area that love Jesus and that want this community changed. So maybe what we're doing is not quite right for them, but you know that the Uniting Church are doing something for them. Invite them, take them to that space. It's one kingdom, one body. It's not just about us. So as a church, leadership and staff, we're doing the best to discern how to engage with our call to reach the next generation and to not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. We don't, want to, we don't want to hand the next generation the old couch. We don't want to hand them our programs that don't work or don't meet them where they're needing. So we want to create these environments for you to be able to feel comfortable to bring your friends, your families, and your co-workers into so that your faith can grow and theirs can as well. And now the theology bit and the Bible bit. Some of you are like, get to the Bible. All right, here. Um, I'm not going to read from any scripture, sorry, but here's some biblical principles. If you've been a Jesus follower for a while, you should be nodding your head. And if I see you shaking your head, then I know that one of us is very wrong. All right, so um, chuck up the slide with the, uh, the three things for me there, Cam. Okay, so here's three truths, and I'm going to read them out. Oh, oh, no, it looks all right up there. I thought it was going to look a bit harder to read. All right. Um, our theological basis for everything that I've said so far is sort of hinged on these three things that we find from the Bible. Um, but these are three truths that we look at and that we respond to. The first is this. Jesus died for all humanity to know him. Can we agree to that? Yeah. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for the world, for everybody. Even those who don't acknowledge him. He died for them. Every person alive is someone for whom Jesus Christ died. That's just what we believe. And we believe that Jesus' followers are called to take the message of Jesus with us. As Jesus was leaving the earth, he says to those who are following him, as you go, you're going to tell people about me. You're going to make people want to be disciples of me. You're going to baptize people. So we're going to take that message with us. There's no one in the church that has been called to believe Jesus died and rose again and to sit back and go, my job is done. That does, that's my reading of Scripture, my reading of the Bible, my look at faith traditions is that's not generally what happens, is it? It's not like, phew, I'm on the bus, go, go, go. That's uh, sometimes our attitude can unfortunately be a little bit like, oh, thank God I know Jesus and uh, bye. Um, the scene I'm always uh, reminded, you can laugh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm saying it, I'm joking, I'm not being serious. 
Um, but the scene I'm always reminded of, unfortunately, is like on the Titanic. Um, the Titanic's going down and people are getting onto the lifeboats. Um, and as they're getting onto the lifeboats to get to safety, I can feel sometimes the church feels a little bit like the ship is going down and the church people are like, me first, and push everyone out of the way, get on there, get it to the ground and get away and go, whew. And I don't think that's what Jesus intended. I think he actually wanted us to be loving and kind and to actually receive him and then go out so others could receive him. That's why we're looking at evangelism right now, investing and inviting. It doesn't stop with us. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, it's not to wealth, better prosperity and a happiness for you. It's actually so that you can follow him faithfully and lead others to follow him faithfully as well. So that's the second truth. And the third one is this, and what we looked at last week when we looked at the Bible in depth. James asks us not to make it difficult for those turning to God. The church sometimes makes it very difficult for people who want to know Jesus. And it's just a self-critique on what I've observed and experienced. Um, sometimes we have certain dress codes or standards, or we put things on at certain times, or we have certain expectations, or a well-meaning church wants to love people, but someone who doesn't quite fit comes in and they don't get welcome and accepted, or someone has a past which is just difficult to deal with in the church rather than try and figure out if they can or another church can help that person. They just go too difficult and push them away. Um, sometimes we create rules that we feel need to be followed and the person just wants to meet Jesus and we're like, that's great, but have you done the membership class, the baptism class, the this class, the that class, that, 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 that. And sometimes we just need to pull that away and go, how can I share the Jesus I have received with you? How can we make this simple? And our hope is that as a church we can make it simple, not difficult for those who want to meet Jesus. We don't want it to be hard for people. We want it to be easy. So our response to those truths is simply this. We want to put our best energy, our best resources, our best finances, and our best time into creating relational life groups, into creating engaging Sundays, in empowering the next generation and actually giving them responsibility. Um, that means that when they run stuff and do stuff, we want them to do it to the fullness of what they can, not just as a token thing like oh look at those young people trying we'll just allow them no no we want to give actual responsibility to the next generation and actually hear from them what God's doing in their space and we want to run events where people can meet Jesus so here's where we're going to land today before we get to go into a fire fire drill Jesus loves you he loves you he loves you enough that he died for you God looked at humanity his heart broke for humanity and Jesus came down to earth, died a death he didn't deserve and came back to life showing us that there is more to this life than just this life. God wants you to be restored to a relationship with your heavenly father, with him. And the way we do that is through Jesus Christ. If you call LBC home, if this is your church, then I want you to live freely in the reality that you are a follower of Jesus. I want you to engage in life groups during appropriate seasons. I want you to attend and serve on Sundays where you can. I want you to pray for the younger generation and to love them as they come through. And I want you to attend, serve, or invite others to events that matter to you. We do something and it matters to you, share it. Pray for it. Invite someone along to it or serve at it. 
If you follow Jesus and this is your home church, I hope that you are able to invest in the lives of those around you and feel comfortable to invite them to sit alongside you. And if you do not feel comfortable bringing them along to church, I want to know why. Come and tell me. Come and talk to me. Is it something we do? Is it something we can talk through that it makes it hard for you to want to bring someone into this space? We want to know about that. So come and have a chat to me. And if you don't follow Jesus or you're still on the faith journey trying to figure out whether Jesus is someone who is worth following, then I want you to hear this. At Lesmerdy Baptist Church, we are trying our best to show a faith of freedom and love that changes lives. We're trying to be people where we ourselves are engaging in spiritual disciplines, loving God, doing what we can to have a vibrant faith and sharing that with our community. And if you don't yet follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to plant in here a while, to come and have a chat to us and to figure out if Jesus is someone that you want to follow. Come and engage in a life group. Come to a Sunday or an event or if you've got kids, bring them to the next gen space. I mean, at the end of the day, what have you got to lose? You might meet some nice people and have some cake along the way. But I do want you to know your Heavenly Father loves you so much and He wants you to experience life following Him. Now, if you don't follow Jesus and you want to, then uh, some practical advice to you. Go and look at what Jesus did. Don't hear it secondhand from me or from other people. Go and actually look at what He said and what He did. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to get you a Bible. But there's four documents you can read. When people give you a book, where do you start the book? The beginning. When someone hands you a Bible, where do you start? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Is it at the beginning, fellow Jesus followers? No, they've put it at the back. Um, so if you, uh, if you want to engage in the Bible, the place I'd say to go to first is the documents of Ma- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go and just look at what Jesus said. Go and look at what it said Jesus did. Go and look at the story and decide for yourself, is that someone that you want to follow? Go and look at it firsthand. I dare you to. If you've never done it before, go and actually look at what Jesus said and what he did. And hopefully you'll see through that that he is an amazing God worth following that loves you very much. So, that brings us to the end of the message. Allow me to pray for you. And hopefully, if you're someone who loves Jesus, invest and invite, invest and invite, invest and invite. If not here, somewhere. Don't go to a church just to walk in, walk out each week and have nothing happen or change. Go to a place where you can be planted and growing. If it's not here, find another church in our city. Get planted, get growing, get your faith moving. And if you don't yet know Jesus, then I want you to hopefully see through our community that he is someone worth following and that he loves you and died for you so that you can be restored to your heavenly Father. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that when Jesus returned to you, Father God, that we now have the Holy Spirit with us each and every day to guide us, to lead us, to comfort us, to be with us and to show us what we should be doing. What I want to pray for this morning, God, is that as we ask the question, what is the faith of the next generation worth, that we meaningfully answer that as everything that we meaningfully put in our best prayer, our best resources, our best finances, our best time, and our best effort into creating environments where people can come to know freedom in Jesus. We bring all of this before you, God. Amen.